0: hi and welcome to this BJSM podcast where we have the pleasure of having Dennis Kane with us Dennis edited the January special issue of BJSM which related to kids injuries and Dennis I'd like you to begin by just telling us how you got to be in a special place in injury prevention and injury epidemiology
1: thank you Karim uh, absolutely yes my my uh, uh, Actually, my undergraduate training was as a physical education teacher, and uh, after I completed my physical education degree and teacher training at the University of Manitoba, I, I taught in the public schools for eight years altogether, uh, and, and including um, a number of years uh, overseas teaching uh, very young children. Actually, K to three children is what I ended up working with over there, uh, but this provided me with a, a wonderful background, I think. Uh, for, for really starting to understand children and some of the issues related to children and sport, because certainly as a physical education teacher, you're, you're, um, you're not only teaching the physical education classes, but you're, you're also involved with a fair bit of coaching and noon-hour activities and so forth. So there's always, you know, literally hundreds of kids running around and bumping into each other <laughs> and developing uh, overuse problems sometimes in uh, after-school sports and, and uh, acute injuries. So there's a... Um, a lot of exposure, I should say, through that, and it really I think sensitized me to uh, some of the, some of the concerns and problems in in uh, children and and youth sports and Of course, I was an athlete myself and played uh, a number of sports, including water polo and and rugby and and, uh, and had that exposure, and again, you know that sensitivity to the the impact of injury uh, on, on a young athlete. Uh, And so um, as I approached grad studies at the University of Oregon, I focused on uh, human growth and injury epidemiology, and I was particularly interested in in growth plate injuries and and injuries that, uh, uh, not apophysial injuries, but epiphyseal injuries are the types of injuries that could actually affect the growth of young athletes, and and that led to my involvement in in my doctoral work at the University of Oregon, um, I ended up actually working with gymnasts, although my original attention was with young runners, but we were seeing gymnasts with growth plate problems at the distal radius, and, and uh, so that, that led me to uh, uh, into the whole area of epidemiology and, and working with these young athletes and following them over time to look at the incidence and distribution of injury and, and risk factors related to injury. Um, I also worked with Stephen Roy at the Center for Sports Medicine Run, Running Injuries in Eugene during that period of time. Um, and uh, you know, following that, uh, um, that work, uh, dissertation work that I continued uh, over the years to conduct a number of longitudinal studies, uh, injury epi studies involving gymnasts and most recently actually done some work with swimmers as well. Uh, and and uh, But over time, of course, my interest have evolved and I've become interested in, in looking at injury in all sports, particularly kids' sports, but really all sports, and looking at the epidemiology of injury in all sports, and, and uh, uh, certainly have, have uh, uh, done a fair bit of, of writing and collaborating in that area, and, and over the time have published several books, uh, co-edited books, uh, one in 1996, uh, another two in 2005. And most recently, one on epidemiology of uh, injury in Olympic sports that was uh, published by the IOC in 2010. And These are really just an effort to try and pull together what we know about the epidemiology of injury in sport. Uh, and so it's been uh, it's been a long ride, and, and I've seen uh, an incredible amount of growth over the years. And injury epidemiology and I'm sure uh, as most folks are aware there's been quite a transition from more descriptive to etiologically based studies and and this whole focus now on injury prevention which is, is very exciting.
0: Let's jump into what you think are the serious problems facing young athletes and their parents today.
1: Sure. I'm happy to. In fact, what I'd like to do, Carm, is is relate this too to the the January uh, 2010 uh, thematic issue in the British Journal of Sports Medicine titled Kids in Sports, Are They Having a Rough Time of It? And as you know, we would invited a number of authors to write about uh, problem areas uh, facing young athletes, including disordered eating and steroid use, sport-related violence, and of course several articles related to injury. Of these, I believe that injury is the most serious problem facing contemporary children and youth athletes and their parents. Um, I believe that the injury problem in children's and youth sports arises from several related trends over recent decades, including increased numbers of participants, uh, particularly girls, young girls, increased duration and intensity of training, earlier specialization and year-round training, Uh, and often we see these uh, young kids on, on traveling teams and uh, so they 're basically playing weak round, and also the increased difficulty that we see of 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 skills practice in gymnastics you know uh, of course, the bar keeps going up, the skills get tougher and tougher uh, for these kids to be competitive. Um, in addition, children and adolescents are increasingly visiting wilderness recreational destinations, as we saw in one of the articles in the special issue by Travis Heggie, and, uh, and certainly participating in a growing number of extreme sports, such as skateboarding, BMX, and mountain biking, and even rock climbing, and it makes me cringe even to see some of these, like with, uh, hear reports of kids involved in cage fighting, for example, or or riding and racing camels, uh, as they have done in the middle east so there 's there 's lots of happening lots happening and like i say uh, uh, it just seems that the the bar keeps rising and if if it 's not within a sport there 's a new sport created that 's has even, uh, you know, riskier elements in it. So, but, you know, on the other side, certainly physical activity clearly has important and wide-ranging health benefits, and I know there was a special issue that in, in the journal, the British Journal that Stephen, Air, uh, Stephen Blair edited in this area talking about the health benefits related children's fitness and body fatness, cardiovascular and metabolic disease risk files, and skeletal development. But again, engaging in sports and recreational activities at a young age also involves a risk of injury, and that's what, again, several of the authors talk about in this special issue. Uh, Young athletes may be particularly vulnerable to injury due to such growth-related factors as the adolescent growth spurt and susceptibility to growth plate injury, as I was uh, referring to in some of my earlier work and dissertation work and then differences in maturity status and as we have seen recently with concerns about concussion the uh, the different physiological response and longer recovery that is seen in children after concussion so there there's some very distinct differences there between the the child and the adult and and we often hear that the and and I certainly this is important to press upon coaches that the child is not a miniature or scaled-down adult this is a a different entity and and the injury patterns are going to be different um, recent data suggests that the risk of sport and recreation is, is indeed high among children and youth and constitutes a, a significant health burden. For example, uh, about 65% of all sports, recreation and exercise-related injury visits, and this is in the United States emergency, emergency departments in 2000-2001, were sustained by uh, children and youth at 19 years of age and younger. Um, So again, this is a a very serious problem and sports, recreation, exercise related injuries are the most common cause of paediatric injuries and I've looked at a number of studies accounting from anywhere to 19 to 29% of all injuries in this population. So almost one out of every three injuries uh, can be related to sports.
0: It certainly is a double-edged sword and uh, on the one hand we've got this talk about uh, children being inactive. And on the other hand, there's a potential high rate of injury. So what would you say are the three to four main issues that we need to address?
1: Okay, yes, um, you know I feel that there again I'll, I'll relate back to the volume and, and issues arriving uh, arising from uh, some of the studies that uh, were discussed in the in the special issue. Um, but I really think that these the main issues can be categorized as categorized as those related to injury occurrence the type and severity of injury uh... potential long-term health outcomes and then injury prevention, so injuries arising in each of these areas, and I'll just talk briefly about each of these. Uh, you know, For example, w- with regards to injury occurrence, thinking about exposure patterns, injury definition, and as well as surveil- surveillance, um, but until recently, and I'm, going, I'm thinking back again to the early 80s, a lot of the, the studies that we saw, re- and this is across sports, and, and, and not just for kids, but, but with collegiate athletes and, and so forth, a lot of the 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 studies reported injuries as uh, the number of injuries per 100 or 1,000 participants. And, in fact, this is still the case in some pediatric sports, as as I've seen recently. Um, And, uh, however, this type of reporting doesn't account for the variance in exposure of participants uh, to risk of injury, you know, because we don't have an exposure base in there, a time or, uh, you know, an an element, whether it's a, a climb or a bike ride, that type of thing. So it makes it very difficult to compare data not only between sports but also uh, within sports if, if they're uh, describing uh, uh, these rates uh, differently across sports or using this so-called clinical instance because we don't know what the exposure. You may have the same number of participants in, in two different studies, but the participants may have been exposed differently to the risk of injury. Just take, for example, the bench warmer versus the first string player or the individual that attends practice on a regular basis versus one who misses frequently, that type of thing. But that's not picked up when we look at injuries per 100 participants. So that is a concern and continues to be a concern in some of the data that we see coming out. Another one is the in the area of, of injury definition and deciding what incident should be registered in sports injury research, what qualifies as reportable injury. Uh, and the result is, you know, and even, again, even within within one sport, it's difficult to compare sometimes because the, uh, you know, as we're comparing injury rates and testing risk factors, um, the, the the definition has varied somewhat, and so the rate would be different um, between these uh, uh, studies. There are, however, several recent multi ports multi-sport studies that have used the same injury definition and data collection methods across sport studies. And I'm thinking of the National Athletic Trainers Association and the internet-based Rio study from the United States and also some work in high school injuries at the University of North Carolina. And interestingly, when we look at these, uh, three uh, multi-sport studies that football had the highest overall injury rate per 1,000 athletic exposures, An athletic exposure just meaning, you know, one athlete involving, involved in one practice or one competition. We noticed that in girls in these three studies uh, that soccer was associated with the highest incidence of injury, again, consistently across the three. Uh, another area too, and kind of overarching some of these shortcomings, is the the, the almost complete lack of comprehensive surveillance systems, and I, this is this is a huge problem, I think, in in kids' sports, and and really at sports at all level as well, but particularly kids uh, with children and and youth involved in sports, and uh, particularly so for sports played outside of schools, uh, like gym, gymnastics for the most most part, and swimming and soccer. Uh, oftentimes, we see the research that covers only one event, one season, or one year, and this is, of course, limited in its ability to provide strong evidence of the rate of or risk factors of injury. And this, this gets to an important point that I'd like to make. I believe that sports organizations have an ethical obligation to ensure the health and well-being of the competitors under their authority, and although there there are a few, and perhaps growing, number of organizations that support research on the epidemiology of injury in sport. Like, like I said, NADA, and, and certainly the IOC. We've seen recently starting to. Uh, Run some EPI studies in, in um, uh, Olympic events and uh, international events, but there remains a, still a marked absence of support in the area of youth sports coming from the organization. And in fact, uh, I just recently approached one national organization here in the U- U.S. regarding uh, the importance of their developing an injury surveillance system because so many of their athletes involve children and and youth, and and so far. Um, it's been a bit disappointing. There hasn't been a lot of progress made, and it seems that their major concern is that the injury data would be published or could be published. And and it seems almost like they didn't want that, you know, injury problems to be, uh, I guess, publicized in any way. But uh, anyway, th- there are concerns like that. There are obstacles to, uh, uh, you know, organizations, I think, providing the kind of injury surveillance that would form a, a, a great basis for uh, studying uh, youth sport injury and and, and and providing a basis for testing risk factors and and uh, uh, intervention measures. Um, another area too, when you know, as I start to look at some of these problem issues across sports, are, there are the as I mentioned earlier, I think the epiphyseal injuries as well as catastrophic injuries continue to be issues or concerns and children in youth sports. And and I know in the January theme issue, Dr. Maffouli and his colleagues reviewed the long-term health outcomes of youth sports injuries, including growth plate injuries. And there are still only very limited incidence data on the types types and severity of growth plate injuries in children's and youth sports. Most of the data are published in case series or a series of injuries that have been treated at a hospital or physician's office. In fact, a recent review in the British Journal of Sports Medicine, one that I worked on with, with Nick uh we, we reported on, on 25 studies and 826 acute physio injuries, and we saw that, that 38% or more than a third in, occurred in organized sports situations, and of these, 15% resulted in growth disturbance. Uh, and again, because we don't have prospective data, good cohort data on this, on kids sports, we just don't have an, an idea, a good idea about uh, about the incidence of growth plate injuries. Um, but, uh, you know, notably in a long-term follow-up of a injury of the ankle, it's one I was just looking at the other day, that 12% had varus or valgus deformity and osteoarthritis. And I know this is another concern that we're we're talking about now and certainly the upcoming conference in, in London in October that's going to be dealing with tackling arth- osteoarthritis in sports. So these growth plate injuries uh, and kids sports to me remain an area of concern. Uh, a related issue for parents, young athletes and coaches is that they are often not educated on the potential for growth plate injuries. Acute growth plate injuries, for example, are often dismissed as sprains and not refer- not even referred to a physician. In fact, I, I just to give you an idea of, and the folks that are listening, an idea of how easily this can happen, I remember I was supervising a student teacher years ago uh, at a school. It was in a middle school level, and it was a, a, a relay. The student was running a, a relay with, with these uh, middle school students, and a girl tripped over her own feet and fell backwards on her wrists, Um and, you know, immediately uh had, had a fair bit of pain in the wrists and we sent her off to the hospital and sure enough she had had uh type one or two salter harris uh, fractures and in, in the distal radii of both wrists, but it that's all it took was a simple fall uh in that case on, on falling back onto her hands. So these these injuries can happen fairly easily. Uh, but again, often they are dismissed because we're, we're adults working with coaches working with them aren't aware of the potential for growth plate injuries, and they're dismissed as strains and possibly iced and off they go, kind of thing. The other area that that uh, really concerns me too are the overuse physio injuries, and there are. This was this was my, as you recall, my my concern from the outset, is the the possibility of overuse injury affecting the physis uh, the of a long bone. And most reports deal with the shoulder of young baseball pitchers and, and the wrists of young gymnasts. So these are reports over the last 20 or so years. However, there are a growing number of reports of these stress injuries involving young athletes in such sports as soccer and football and long distance running and so forth. Um, and although most of these injuries, as we look through in the literature resolve with rest, there have also been reports of stress-related premature closure in gymnasts, baseball, and basketball players, and also tennis. In fact, I don't know if you saw the recent article by Larard L. It was, I think, 2005 or 2006, and they described several such cases, including one of a young tennis player, and it was an 11-and-a-half-year-old girl who had physial widening of both the medial distal femoral physis and both medial proximal tibial physis. but unlike the other uh, children and youth in in this report, she was non-compliant, continued vigorous tennis training, and then two years after her initial clinic visit, she had per- persistent knee pain and developed bilateral varus deformity of both knees. So then again, we see that the you know the growth had been disrupted, uh, and there was deformity, and of course there's a potential for osteoarthritis there as well. So, but again, I, I can't help because we don't have good. Studies on kids, and even where they do report fractures, they often don't talk about whether they're physio fractures or, or mid shaft fractures or what, you know, that type of thing. So, again, it's uh, and especially with kids participating to the level they are now, my concern is that we're going to see many more of these cases uh, with time, especially with the culture in some of these f- sports for kids to uh, suck it up and to work through their pain. And of course, this is an example of what can happen. Um, and it, it related to this concern, too, another article in the issue it was one by Mallory McHugh, uh, and this was in, again a special thematic issue in, in January in, in British Journal of Sports Medicine. And his article is titled "Oversized Young Athletes: A Weighty Concern." But Mallory reported that obese adolescents are more than, uh, or adolescent athletes, I should say, are more than three times as likely to sustain an ankle sprain compared with normal-weight athletes, and. We also know from recent reports that overweight youth are more likely to suffer from slip capital femoral epiphysis as well. And, of course, these may relate to uh, risk for later osteoarthritis, so uh, another area of concern. Um, and then, you know, the other area that I mentioned before, too, that I think continues to be a great concern in children's and youth sports, and these are the catastrophic injuries—the sport injuries that result uh, could result, for example, in a fatality or a non-fatal brain or spinal cord injury, or even a skull or spinal fracture—and these can have a major impact on young athletes and, and of course, their families when they do occur. And uh, again, relating back to the issue, uh, the thematic issue, uh, Eric Zemper summarizes data from the National Center for Catastrophic sports injury research at the University University of North Carolina and uh, this center provides the most useful I think and comprehensive data on catastrophic injuries in many school sports in the United States and the concern however is that there are many sports and recreational activities that this center doesn't cover and there are some sports like gymnastics which are school sports but the majority of participants participants are actually involved in non-school club programs and again there's no Uh, there's no injury surveillance there and there's little coverage and and we just don't know a lot about what's happening there, although there are isolated reports that we see of catastrophic injuries. Um, But again, I I feel this should be the responsibility of the national organizations overseeing or promoting these activities. Indeed, it's probably, uh, you know, as mentioned earlier, an ethical responsibility of these organizations to maintain injury surveillance systems or otherwise provide financial and logistical support for those doing the work. Notably, in the U.S. uh, schools, there were almost a thousand catastrophic injuries, including 150 fatalities during during the period of 1992 to 2008. And uh, one of the, I think, continuing issues, because there's been a, a law prohibiting this, is the legal use of the helmet as an initial contact point in tackling or blocking, and we continue to see kids uh, getting hurt this way. And, and, you know, this gets back to, I think, coaching, educating coaches and and, and enforcing uh, uh, rules in the sport. Another area, too, that's a concern, we start thinking of catastrophic injuries, and there was a special article on this in the thematic issue as well as the one written by Stephen, Is- uh, Stephen Marshall on heat injury in youth sport. And he reported that during 1995 to 2008, a total of 29 high school football players died from heat stroke. And again, that's what we know about. That's what's being reported uh, uh, through the uh, Injury Prevention Research Center at North Carolina, but there are other sports as well that aren't covered. Uh, in autumn 2008 alone, there were four heat-related heat related deaths in high school football in the United States. And unlike direct catastrophic injuries, I think some of which uh, can be fr- prevented, but certainly heat-related injuries are completely preventable. And in his article, Stephen summarized expert recommendations for the prevention of heat injury in young athletes. And in a nutshell, frequent rest breaks, reductions in exercise in very hot conditions, and adequate hydration are expected to reduce this risk in, in adolescents. Um, a third area that I, I mentioned, a third kind of category of, of issues uh, related to the young as, athlete and sport are the potential long term. Uh, health outcomes, and again in the January issue, Mafulidel reviewed long-term health health outcomes of youth sports injuries, and an important concern that they address is the a proportion of children who drop out due to injury. <clears throat> Unfortunately, most of the data, as they saw, from, are arising from case reports and case series and re- relate to uh, specific injury type, uh, uh, specific injury types like osteochondritis desiccans of the humeral capitellum. Uh, in three cohort studies of gymnasts, uh, they cite uh, 16 to 52% of the young athletes were injured at the time they dropped out of the sport. Again, that's implicating injury as a likely contributing factor. But again, it's, it's an area, you know, as we follow these young kids, it's important to know just how many are Uh, are dropping out of injury because this this shows an immediate impact of injury, on certainly on the health and welfare. Many kids we know actually will drop out and they'll change to another level or they'll go to another sport, but many do drop out altogether as well. But again, we have very few data on what's going on here, what the outcome is of of injury or the immediate outcome on the kids' health and, and participation. It's interesting to raise awareness about sport safety. The National Athletic Trainers Association in the United States, and along with the American Academy of Orthopedic Surge- uh, Surgeons, recently ran a public service ad campaign asking, what will they have longer, their trophies or their injuries? And I couldn't help but think of this as I started to uh, look towards this conference in, in October on, on uh Osteoarthritis uh, as a potential outcome of, of sport and, and tackling this issue. Uh, but certainly the potential for residue from injury injury, including osteoarthritis, is a concern. and Mafuliadel reviewed several long-term studies, uh, long-term follow-up studies which provide evidence that 12 to 20 years after knee injury, and this could be meniscus or ACL or both, more than 50 percent of those injured will have knee osteoarthritis. So as such, knee injury and related meniscus or ACL injury surgery during childhood or adolescence may reduce further involvement in physical activity leading to less than optimal health in in later life. And I know there's been several articles published recently uh, by some of these, uh, I mentioned three uh, longitudinal studies earlier, but there's some ongoing data collection in the States where they're able to look at the risk of knee injury, for example. Uh, in sport and and to document the number of cases. Uh, And finally, uh, we have the the area of of prevention. Um, And the thematic issue actually uh, concluded with an article by Carol Emery describing a scientific approach to injury prevention in children's and youth sports. And injury prevention, certainly in youth sports, is becoming a a greater public health priority in light of the immediate and long-term human and economic costs that do relate to sport injury. An important issue in injury prevention though is the availability of good quality descriptive data without which the capacity to conduct meaningful analytical studies, these are the risk factors and the prevention studies, is indeed severely compromised. And I want to emphasize again um, the need for sport-governing bodies to establish injury surveillance systems with deliberate long-range research agenda to to test risk factors and preventive measures. To date, few modifiable injury risk factors have been statistically evaluated and few studies have been published that were designed to determine the effect of injury prevention measures in children's and youth sports. And I know we're seeing there is a trend. We are seeing more of an emphasis here on injury prevention, but still the, the, these are limited to a few sports. The studies are, I should say, and there's room for a lot of work here. And surprisingly, there have been no preventive trials specifically on measures to reduce the risk of overuse injuries in pediatric sports, which as I mentioned earlier, I think is is, is a real concern as well. So just summing it up, I think, you know, during the, the past thirty to forty years I've observed considerable growth in the field of sports injury epidemiology, but per- perhaps particularly so with regards to physically mature athletes. I'm talking about the college or, or elite levels in, in many sports and young adult levels. There remains a great need for continued injury research related to children's and youth sports. I notice in gymna- gymnastics and competitive swimming For example, there have only been a handful, a small handful of studies dealing with children that have been published in the last 10 to 12 years. And then there there are the extreme sports that need to be addressed that I mentioned earlier, the skateboarding, the BMX, mountain biking, and so forth. And then the combative kids' uh, sports that we're seeing uh, with so many kids involved in these days, the taekwondo and cage fighting and so forth. So there's a lot of work there for the next generation of injury researchers in the area of paediatric, competitive and recreational sports.
0: This issue of how much is too much, you know, you see you've touched on it. So I've got a 10-year-old who likes running a lot and uh, some of my friends are telling me that he shouldn't be running more than a couple of days a week. What's the practical advice in this situation?
1: Interesting question. I know there's been a lot of debate on this. In fact, there was a... uh, um, a special uh, article it was in Pediatric Exercise Science that I participated in a couple years or a couple of years ago. Now I think that yeah would have been about two thousand more than a couple. It's probably about two thousand and four, um, where they actually interviewed a number of, of uh, uh, physicians and research on on this very topic. And I think it, you know, the the opinion did vary somewhat uh, and. Uh, you know, in fact, the the idea there, or the concern there, was whether kids should be involved in in uh, running marathons at that point. But you know, you're looking at at a ten-year-old child, and and um, just how much is too much, how much training. And and I think you know, one thing I would recommend for for even a child that age is is to vary the the number of you know the sports that they're involved in, so it's not all running. And again, this this gets back to the the repetition, but certainly uh, kids can. You know, they can be involved in running, and and, and uh, but they want to keep the mileage low. Um, I don't have my at my fingertips, you know, the exact mileage that we should be looked at, but I think just using um, pain as a marker, too, that they shouldn't be, as I mentioned earlier, trying to work through pain, and they should be looking at that. Uh, I mean, if they're t- taking this very seriously, looking at their running technique as well and having their mechanics um, analyzed carefully and... and um, Again, just trying to vary that with other sport activities as well so that they're maybe involved in swimming a little bit. and It's not just all running or running-related sports, but uh, a range of activities.
0: On the topic of phys ed, so you've been a phys ed teacher in the past and you've researched this field now. There's a bit of controversy saying that some kids aren't really doing much physical activity in phys ed. They spend a lot of time standing around. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on phys ed as the solution for physical activity in school kids?
1: Great, great question, uh, Karam. I mean, I think it is a huge concern. In fact, I remember one of one of the classes that I uh, I took at the University of Oregon. It, it was in, in supervision of student teaching. Um, And uh, it also had to do, one of the assignments was actually to go out and and, uh, watch watch, uh, a student teacher and provide feedback. So the student teacher is teaching the class. And my job was to sit down with a, uh, and, and actually determine the amount of time that students were actually active in the class so I pick a student and every you know a a child and every time that child was actually moving uh, then you know I click the watch and and, and away we go kind of thing and and some of that and in fact you know my findings were similar with other that other reports at that time this is the early 1980s um, that you know kids were maybe seven eight nine minutes of a thirty minute period that they were actually active And I know this continues as a concern today, especially where the number of physical education classes are reduced, you know, as the pendulum swings back and forth in terms of money available in the schools. But there's that concern there about, you know, uh, certainly individualizing activities and keeping these kids active, you know, uh, involved in activities that they enjoy and challenging, but but, uh, important for the teacher to try and minimize the amount of talking time and make sure there's enough equipment so every child has a ball or a hoop or whatever it is that they're using, and not have long lineups. You know, some of the things that we used to see decades ago, but surprisingly still in some of the schools. In other words, to try and maximize the time. But I think related to this issue, too, you know, oftentimes, as we do see this pendulum swing back and forth, and, and phys ed and music get cut out or reduced, and they take the specialists out of the elementary school, and I, I think that's a huge mistake um, I really feel, and after you know having taught physical education at almost all levels, that the most important level is really in the elementary school and, and the early elementary school, where we often see no physical education specialist, but this is the time when the children are learning the the motor patterns, the skills, and developing the attitudes I think that favor you know lifelong involvement in activity and successful involvement in activity. And I think without that, especially, you know, so many kids coming from one-parent homes and living in apartments and so forth, there isn't the opportunity, unless they are at school, for this kind of exposure. So I think it's crucial that schools have daily physical education. I know something we've been talking about in Canada for, for decades now, but daily physical education and ideally taught by a specialist and a specialist who's focusing on maximizing the time that the children are in the physical education class and not just t- having them run around and and do you know a variety of activities to get the heart rate up, but also teaching them the skills that will favor their, their future involvement in sport, learning how to throw and catch properly and to jump and to run well and so forth. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a hot, and, and I think it's a, another important area too, what there, there's some research coming out in, in recent years, although not too far off that, uh, Trau study that, uh, Dr. Shepherd was involved in years ago but showing that uh, daily physical education you know not only does it not negatively affect the uh, the academic performance in fact what they're finding is that children attend uh, to, academic, to academic learning uh, more favorably, and they actually do better. Um, although, I, I still, we probably need some more uh, cohort studies to validate this, but there's a lot of cross sectional work, and like I said, some of the early work with the Travier, Travier study in Quebec in the 1970s that really support this notion of an academic or uh, uh, brain spin off from this activity in these children.
0: Absolutely, Dennis, and a good note to finish on the multiple health benefits of physical activity, but the challenges of delivering it in a classroom setting and uh, in different settings of sport. Dennis, we're going to leave it there. That's all we've got time for today. Thanks so much for editing the special issue of the BJSM in January of 2010, and we've had terrific feedback about that. Thanks for your time this morning, and um, all the best, Dennis.
1: Thank you very much. And thank you for, just like to thank you for your invaluable editorial assistance during the them- thematic issue. And, and, and again, to all the authors for their very well written and informative contributions. It, it, it was a, uh, uh, just a wonderful experience working with all of you. Thanks, Dennis. Okay. Thank you very much. Goodbye.